Welcome to East L.J. Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Uh, and what a, what a privilege it is to be able to gather in the name of Christ and worship Him this morning. Here at East L.J., if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want you to know we have been captivated by Christ through the gospel of Jesus. We have seen uh, the glory of God. The scripture says in the face of Christ Jesus. We've seen God's grace, His mercy, and His love. Um, which is the apex of His glory, and in Him, by Him, we've been captivated. We want you to see the beauty of Jesus today and be captivated by Jesus as well. And so we pray to that end as we get started this morning. I want to give a quick thank you to all of our adult, uh, our youth adult leadership team. They are busy behind the scenes um, with our, our youth, working alongside Seth, our interim youth leader, to uh, help uh, make things run for our, our teenagers on Wednesday night and Sunday morning during Sunday school. So we appreciate our youth leadership team. If you see any of those parents, uh, just make sure you thank them. We want to take just a few minutes to stand, find somebody you don't know, and introduce yourself. And we'll come back together in just a few moments. All right, if you'll make your way back to your pew and just remain standing when you get back there. All right, it's good to hear some good fellowship going on. We're glad uh, you're all here. We want to read from God's Word as we begin this morning, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 23. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised 
is faithful. We are here today to draw near to Him. Amen? That's why you came, is to draw near to Him. And, and you can do that, this passage says, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. Do you believe that? It's important at the beginning of the service that you answer that question. Do you believe that? That you can draw near with confidence, full assurance of faith, with a true heart. You may be thinking, you don't know what I did yesterday. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know how I blew it with my wife Friday. You don't realize what happened earlier uh, on Thursday. Um, you see, when you begin to think that way, you're thinking in terms of works, aren't you? I, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking it's about me when I come before Jesus. Let me tell you something, if it's about me, you'll never be good enough to come. It says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? By how good you did this week at work. By how well you treated those people you should love and be kind to. It says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, we, we can come confidently and in, 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 in full assurance of faith because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His body was broken, His blood was shed, and that's why we can have confidence before Him. And, and hear me, that is the only reason that we can have confidence before Him. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, so this morning, you can hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. You can come with full assurance of faith because it's not about you. It's about Him. And He who promised, He who said He would save you by grace through faith alone, is faithful. He's faithful today. I'm so thankful that we know that, aren't you? Man, what a message. I am stoked about the grace of God all of a sudden. Just, just those few minutes thinking about it. And yet there's people in my life, there's people in your life that don't know that. They don't understand grace. They don't understand the gospel. So we want to pray for your neighbors. We want to pray for the nations. This morning we want to pray for the Guarani people of Albania, a Muslim people group, just about 34,000 people uh, in this people group in that location there in Albania, but no known believers among them. So we want to pray that God would reach them, the, the Guarani people of Albania. Join me as we pray for a host of others and, and uh, as well this morning. Father, I thank you that it's all about Jesus. And whenever we make it about us, we take glory from Christ who died and rose again. So Lord, help us in these moments not to do that. But to truly, yes, repent of our sin. Confess it call it what it is, say we did it, but run to Christ who died for all of those sins that come to mind even now. And because of that, we can still come boldly into your presence. Father, we praise you for the joy of the gospel, the peace and the hope of Christ. And Lord, we pray for our neighbors. We pray that you'd make us bold witnesses to them. We pray for the, the Guarani, Guarani people of uh, Albania that you'd penetrate their, their culture there with the gospel. 
Father, I want to pray for our brother Jim Leslie, who leaves in just a few days now for another trip to Burundi, Africa on the 20th of this month. Go ahead of Jim and work in the hearts of people there. Uh, use him to minister to Gideon camps um, all across that country. Father, we continue to lift up uh, the family of Hayden Pritchett, asking for your comfort. We pray this morning for Beverly McDaniel as she recovers from surgery. We lift up Nancy Hall, Bill Emery's uh, sister-in-law, who is being sent home on hospice today. We, we pray for Margaret Diggs and Joan Peel, George Wright. Uh, God, how we thank you and praise you for answered prayer for Natalie Johnson and ask for continued healing, strength and grace for Bradley and Jessica. Uh, Lord, we continue to lift up Mary Milton. Thank you that she's Freddie's mom, that she's in a, a rehab center in Austell. We pray you just use that time to strengthen her and get her back on her feet. We continue to lift up Virginia Holder and uh, ask for grace and strength for Anne as she cares for her. We pray for Teddy Milton and Billy Duncan, who will have chemo soon. We pray for George Wester and Wilburn DeFore. We lift up uh, Denise Key and Steve Eller, uh, Lord Chris Hanley. Uh, we pray for the, f the family uh, of Carol Kemp. We lift up Liz Clark to you. And Lord, for LaGene Aiken, Angie and Larry Callahan, uh, Miss Pat Hamby and... Ms. Fran Waddell, Tina Johnson and Jeff Wall, Susie Cochran, and Annette Corson. Lord, as we go through this long list of names, I thank you that you know and see each one right now all at the same time. You know what's going on in their bodies. You know what's going on in their hearts and minds. You know everything about them. And we pray, God, that you would give healing where you so choose. God, glorify yourself by miraculous supernatural intervention and heal some of these, we pray. And God, for others, give grace and glorify yourself by sustaining and enduring grace. God, grant comfort as the God of all comfort to those that are grieving. And Lord, how we just thank you that we can pray, that we can come confidently in full assurance of faith to worship you first and foremost Lord, thank you that we can pour out all our cares on you because you care about us. May Christ be exalted, and may we exalt him by believing the gospel and believing it's all about him, and therefore praising him and glorifying him, thanking him, and surrendering our lives afresh to him. Even as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we open your word together, for your name's sake we ask it. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song. Good morning. Let's sing uh, You Are Holy.
love singing two songs at the same time. <laughs>
Megan leads us in uh, Lead Me to the Cross.
Y'all can be seated. Lord, we have need every day to come to the cross. And today is no different. Thank you that we can, through your word, be reminded of what Christ has done. And because of his broken body and shed blood, draw near to you with full assurance of faith. Thanking you and praising you that it's all about what Jesus has done for us and in our place. I thank you that through the cross, he's opened up a new and living way for us. And in him, we are completely forgiven. But more than that, declared and made and being made fully righteous in him. So that, Father, when you look at us, you see the righteousness of Jesus. And we praise you. Over and over and over again, we need to come to the cross. And as we come, our only response is to lay us down, lay ourselves down to present our bodies as living sacrifices to you. It's the only thing that makes sense when we come to the cross. And Father, how we thank you that we serve a risen Savior as well, who's ascended to the Father's right hand and is forever our great priest and intercessor and advocate. Thank you that today your Spirit is here among us, Thank you for your word, and we pray now that your spirit would illumine our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, that we might see Jesus afresh and understand the cross a little bit more, even as we sang, that you would give us a few reasons out of the 10,000 and more to bless your name. Teach us and change us, we pray. For your name's sake. Amen. Amen. Come with your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. As we're turning there, Hebrews chapter 11 will be dismissed to Children's Church. And we all just, we often want to give a thank you and shout out to our nursery workers, our children's church workers, those who uh, take care of our kids and share the gospel with them during this time, uh, as well as. Sunday school and Wednesday night. So thank you to all those uh, in the room and who are already somewhere where they can't even hear me right now, but thank you to them for the way they serve our families. So a few weeks ago we uh, heard a video and then we've been referring back to a song entitled Crazy People by Casting Crowns. Here's a little bit of how that song goes. The lyrics Say, who brings a Bible into a public school? Who shares the gospel even when the world calls them a fool? And who's not afraid to go against the flow? Well, cancel me and call me one of those. Who sees the world as a mission field? Who talks to Jesus like he's real? Who says he's coming back again? Crazy people. Crazy people trust in Jesus, following him wherever he leads us. Kingdom seekers, walk by faith believers 
Here's the church, here's the steeple, here's to all God's crazy people. And we've been talking about our people. We've been talking about the fact that these kinds of people are, in fact, if you know Jesus today, if you confess Christ as your Savior, these are our people. Um, You know who your people are in life? It's important in our walk with Jesus that we know who our people are. We continue our study through the book of Hebrews. We've been, we've been at it for a while now. Um, I, I don't even know. Long time. Uh, in Hebrews, we're, we're getting closer and closer to the end. We've been looking at this book under the title, uh, uh, in the form of a statement, an excla- exclamation, in fact, don't forget who Jesus is. And, and that's the author's point throughout. Don't forget who Jesus is. You can't forget this one because he's far superior to all the rest. And in light of who he is, you can't keep living the old way. You've got to live different in light of who Jesus is. And, 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 of course, another way of saying the same thing is don't stop believing and obeying Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The implication over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews and throughout all of the New Testament is this, if we turn back, if we begin by following Jesus, but then we we, we turn away from that uh, from, from that reality, we begin to, to live in sin and live according to, to, to works and, and try to earn things with God, not depending on the grace of Christ. If we throw away our confidence in Him, then we won't receive what's promised in the end. We'll prove to be those who shrink back and are destroyed. But as verse 39 says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The author of Hebrews says, you've got to be careful. You've got to take note of yourself. You've got to watch yourself to make sure that you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you follow him. But just know you're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Your people are those who, who, who have faith and preserve their souls. And then he turns the corner into chapter 11 and it's as if he says, now, here are those people. Here are our people, which is the title of this little mini-series we're in. The truth I want you to see in Hebrews eleven twenty three to 29, this is the, 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 the summary of chapter 11 as a whole, is this. Understanding the faith of our forefathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected Savior King. Because what we've been seeing as we work through chapter 11 is this. If our forefathers... All the Old Testament saints that we've been seeing and we will continue to look at over the next few weeks, if they could believe God and obey Him, in so many cases with the little bit of revelation and explanation that they had, with just the faint glimpse into the fullness fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have, then if they could trust Him and obey it should be easy for us who live in the full blazing sunlight of Christ. The, the, the full glory and explanation and, 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 and just all the, the depth of, of, of the grace of God explained to us in the New Testament. 
And so we pick it up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. We're talking about Moses today. We're looking at Moses and what happened in and around his life today. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Oh, the stories, oh, the, the, the amazing things that Moses saw. You see, understanding the faith of Moses spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected King. Notice with me, first of all, in verse 23, Moses' parents' faith, Moses' parents' faith was faith that risked their own lives for the life of their son. Look at what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, so those acting in faith in this instance are his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So what's going on in this story? Well, maybe you know the story. The, the, the story was that, that, the, that the, the edict was given uh, as the Israelites were, were um, the, the Jewish people were multiplying in the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh said, look, here's the deal. You can, you can let the the, the Baby girls live, but when baby boys are born, you kill them. Throw them in the river. Well, by faith, when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You can see the story back in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. It's amazing, by the way, as we read through these verses quickly. Notice in Hebrews, it says, Moses' parents... When you begin Exodus chapter 2, here's all it says about his mom and daddy. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took a wife as his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. That's it. We don't get their names in that account. We don't get their names in the Hebrews account. And yet these two people, unnamed in at least those two places, are examples of faith to us. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him for a, took, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bit, bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, just happened to be there close by watching, Shall I go 
and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the child went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the, Lord, or when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, he, I drew him out of the water. What an amazing story. Two common parents have a baby boy. They don't fear the king. They fear for the boy's life, and so they hide him. They, 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 they defy the government, and, and they, they, they hide the child. They, they, they preserve his life. They trust the Lord in, in, in them doing the right thing to take care of, of everything. And Indeed, that's what he does. And, and all of a sudden, everything gets turned on its head that Pharaoh wanted, right? At least in the life of Moses. Not, not so much in, in other young boys' lives, but at least in the life of Moses. And not only does Pharaoh's own daughter... Oh, the irony, Pharaoh's own daughter finds this boy and, and, and can't help but love this cute little baby boy floating there in the river. But she makes him ultimately her son. But in the meantime, she pays his mama to raise him up to the point that he can come and live in Pharaoh's house and become his son. What we're seeing here is that Moses' parents' faith was faith that risked their own lives for the life of their son. John Piper said, Faith in God's promises frees us from the fear of death and makes us brave in the risks of love. They could have been killed for what they did. If it had been known that they had kept that baby boy, no doubt Pharaoh would have had him put to death. Because they had defied his edict. And yet they weren't afraid of his edict. They were more afraid of God. Do we believe the promises of God to us enough to risk our lives for the sake of others? And maybe not on the grand scale of actual death. But from the smallest even to the grandest Scale. Do we believe the promises of, of God to us enough to take little risks to benefit somebody else? To risk embarrassment on our part, to risk maybe some financial setback, to risk some, some time lost to do this thing we, we need to do, we think we need to do, so that this person can be served. Do we believe God's promises enough? By the way, somebody said, if you give the Redeemer your time, the Redeemer will redeem your time. And he will. Look what he did in this case. Not only in, in, because of Moses' parents' faith was Moses' life preserved, but his mama got paid for it, and the boy was taken to Pharaoh's house. Do we believe the promises of God enough to do that? Moses' parents did. Moses' parents did. They had a faith that risked their own lives for the life of their son, for the life of someone else, in this case, their son. Notice, secondly, though, Moses' faith in verses 24 to 26 was a faith that chose the reproach of Christ over the fleeting pleasures of sin because he believed in God's eternal 
reward. He had his, his eyes fixed on eternity, and that made him choose the reproach of Christ over the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, again now, picture it, living there in Pharaoh's house. As the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Just track with me. It's real simple here, right? Basically, he's being raised as Pharaoh's what? Grandson. I went to see, we went to see two of our grandbabies yesterday. You, you know what? When they, get, when they get old enough, one of them just turned two Friday. Will have just turned two Friday, and the other one's just about, I don't know, a couple months now maybe. But you know, when they get old enough to run around and talk and ask, Tim, let me ask Grandpa Tim over here. What, what do they get when they ask? Whatever they ask for, right? I mean, this is where Moses was. He was, he was grandson to Pharaoh. But he refused, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he was growing up, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. A couple different perspectives on exactly when, what this is referring to. Is this referring to the Exodus or is this referring to the initial time that Moses left Egypt in Exodus 2? I'm going to go with that one. Uh, feel free to disagree. We could we debate it on Wednesday night. Exodus 2, 11 says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He never forgot in the middle of the opulence and the, the absolute affluence and just anything his heart wished in Pharaoh's house. He never forgot who his people were. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens. They were slave laborers in Egypt. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Killed him. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Saw what you did yesterday, Moses. You're going to do it again today? Except this time you're going to kill one of your own? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The picture I get from what happened is he, he grew up, and one day at some point of maturity in his life, I don't know how old he was, um, but, but he realized, this is not who I am. This is how God worked to preserve me. He sent the lady who's raised me as her own um, here in Pharaoh's house to, to rescue me. God's hand was in the whole deal. Gave mama the plan. Uh, worked it out. 
and I'm here for a purpose, but this is not who I am. I'm one of God's people. I'm one of Yahweh's people. And I'm going to leave this and go back and live among them. When he was grown up, he chose rather to be mistreated. No longer Pharaoh's daughter, but chose rather to be mistreated the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Listen to what he says in verse 26. He considered the reproach of who? Christ. Say what? Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, I don't understand it all here, but we're told that Moses chose to suffer the reproach of Christ. The Messiah that he apparently knew would come, and for whom he was living, and for whom he was longing to see as his reward. Again, John Piper says of this kind of faith, faith is a hunger for God that triumphs over our hunger for the pleasures of this world. And so faith unleashes radically God-centered, risk-taking, people-loving behavior. Do we have this kind of faith? Do you believe that being reproached for Jesus' sake, read the text, is greater wealth than all of the riches this world has to offer that so often cause us to sell our souls to obtain them? Do you believe that? Don't miss what it says. Moses said in his mind and in his heart, he believed that being mistreated as one of Yahweh's people was of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. And by the way, he'd experienced those treasures. He'd lived in the richest house in the land. If he'd want, whatever he wanted, he'd gotten it. Whatever he wanted to eat, he'd eaten it. Whatever recreation he wanted to enjoy, he'd done it. Whatever, whatever he wanted, he, it was there. Whatever money could give him, whatever power could afford him, he'd had it. And he said, you know what a better life is because it's got an eternal reward? Me leaving this to live among my people, God's people, to be reproached for the Christ that don't, I don't fully understand, but I know one day's coming. I know one day he's coming. He's going to save us, his people, and the world. He's through, Father, through, through Abraham's seed, he's going to bless the world. We call that the gospel today, the finished work of Christ, the resurrected Savior. He knew it in just a tiny, tiny bit, and he said, that's a better life. A life of pain, a life of suffering that is connected to the promises of God that extend into eternity and, and promise me blessing forevermore in his presence. To an American Christian like you, to an American Christian like me, this is loud words. This is stout stuff. And here's, I mean, it's just, I don't even need to ask the question. You hear the question. The Spirit of God rings it in your heart right now. 
Do you believe that being reproached for Jesus' sake is greater wealth than all the riches of this, that this world has to offer that so often cause us to sell our souls to obtain them? Wealth is not always wicked, but it's no, it's no, it is no mistake that in, this, in these two verses, the parallel ideas are the treasures of Egypt and the fleeting pleasures of sin. So often they go together. Because money can buy a lot of fleeting pleasures. And we enjoy buying fleeting pleasures, don't we? It's okay. I'm nodding my head. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, you can, lie, you can lie to each other and lie to, but I mean, God knows. We like to get money that buys temporary pleasure. And yet, we're not of those people. We ought to look real different, and we don't. Too often, we don't. Do you believe that your eternal reward in Christ is so much greater that it's worth foregoing present sinful pleasures now in this life? Moses did. Moses did, and again, how much did he understand about Jesus? Enough, because he said he called it the reproach of Christ, but not much. I know so much about what Christ has done. By the way, there's always more to learn. Uh, we always, you don't graduate from the gospel. There's nothing past the gospel. You go deeper in the gospel. You just, you just mine more treasure out of the grace of God. You're just blown away more and more. I know so much about Jesus. You know so much about what God has done for you in Christ. You know His grace. You know His mercy. You know His love. You know the promised eternal reward. So clear. So much more clear than Moses ever did. Now, if he could believe God to suffer the reproach of Christ and believe that was greater wealth than anything this world could afford, as one old song says, Joe, then what's my problem? And what's wrong with you? That as C.S. Lewis says, we make mud pies in the slums thinking we've got something when we've got money, when we've got houses, when we've got fancy cars and all the boats and all the toys and, 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 and we're excelling in sports and, and we're doing all this stuff. We think we've got something and we're, all we're doing is making mud pies in the slums when God says you could be on a holiday, a vacation at the sea. And it's as if we have no concept of anything but the mud pies we're playing with now. Moses' faith was a faith that chose the reproach of Christ over the fleeting pleasures of sin because he believed in God's eternal reward. Number three this morning, Moses' faith from verse 28 was faith that trusted God's unique plan of salvation for his rescue from destruction. Verse 28, by faith he, Moses, 
kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, you know the story. Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Okay, God. Aaron, you help him. Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. Not letting them go. Okay, plague number one. <clears throat> kind of makes a little wave in, in Pharaoh's life. Kind of, you know, kind of causes some trouble. Anyway, all the way through nine plagues, right? In fact, at one point it gets so bad, he, Pharaoh said, okay, go. And then he says, no, don't go. No, actually, I changed my mind. Back and forth, this thing goes nine different times. And finally, the last plague. Here's the deal, Moses. You go tell Pharaoh that the death angel is going to pass over. And I'm telling you, Moses, the only, only the people of God, only those who, who, who slay the lamb and smear its blood on the post of the door, who go back inside and eat what became the Passover meal, only those will be preserved. And as the death angel passes over, the firstborn in every house will be killed. That made Pharaoh turn him loose. Because the firstborn in every house, including his own, died that night. It was only people like Moses and the, the people of Israel who put the blood over the doorpost. I mean, just imagine this. So, so God, let me get this straight. <laughs> There's this death angel that's on a, I mean, he's on, a, he, he's on a killing mission. And what you're telling me is all I've got to do is kill a lamb and daub his blood on the doorpost and, 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 and the lintels of the doorframe, and, and my son, my daughter, my firstborn won't die tonight. Yes, Moses. How crazy is that? I mean, just think about that, right? Moses, again, he didn't, he didn't know about Christ and the cross and Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and all of that, the final Passover lamb. He just knew, kill a lamb, eat it all, be ready to leave quickly next morning, and after you kill him, put the, the blood. The blood will protect you. But Moses just believed when God said something, he meant it, and he could be trusted. And he trusted God's unique plan of salvation for his rescue from destruction. Listen to Exodus 12, 21 to 27. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and, clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads in worship. 
we are indeed crazy people. Because we believe that a Jewish man 2,000 years ago came and lived the perfect life in our place. Completely fulfilling the law of God for us. And though he had no sin, on the day of Passover, he was slain, crucified, he was killed, his blood was shed, his body was torn apart. He became the final Passover lamb. The one to whom they'd all pointed. The one to whom this night in Egypt pointed. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. That payment fully satisfied the wrath of God toward my sin and toward yours. Toward all of our sin. Past, present, and future in our lives. He was buried. On the third day he rose from the dead in victory. Saying, God saying in effect, Jesus did pay it all. And his resurrection proves it. When Jesus declared it is finished, the resurrection said, Amen. It is indeed finished. The work of salvation is done. And you and I today, we trust that weekend's work. And we confess a living Savior. He died, and three days later, He rose again. We're crazy people. You understand? This is the gospel. And yet, it's so good. It's got to be true. And the grave is empty. They've never produced the body of Jesus. And here's the deal. If it was all a lie about the resurrection... Man, they'd have his body permanently preserved to shoot down the stupidity of the Christian gospel. But he lives today. Maybe you're here and you don't yet trust him. So the question for you is, do you believe God's simple gospel promise about Jesus enough to trust your soul to Jesus, the one who lived, died, and rose again for you. Let me just tell you, there's no other way of salvation. There's one name given un, under heaven among men by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. Do you believe God's simple gospel promise is enough to trust and obey and, and for you, church, unashamedly confess that Jesus alone can save and that He is alive today, ruling and reigning as Lord of all? And is it do you believe it enough to believe my life is not about me? It's about everyone else knowing that. Not just in Gilmer County, but to the ends of the earth where people today live. Thousands of people, millions of people who've never even heard his name. And that means some of you, God is calling to go there. Is it worth it? Do you believe his promises that much? Moses did. And he had a faith that trusted God's unique plan of salvation for his rescue from destruction. Finally, this morning in verse 29, the people of Israel's faith was faith that trusted God to fight for them when there was no hope in their own efforts. Listen to what it said. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, 
were drowned. I just want to read part of the account. I'm just going to skip around. You know the general deal. So they leave Egypt. (laughs) Old Pharaoh's heart got hard again. So he actually let them get out this time, but then he chased them. Verse 13 of Exodus 14. Exodus 14, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Where, Where are they at this point? They've gotten to the Red Sea. God led them to the Red Sea. They started out another way, and they, he said, nope, turn around, you're going this way. Right to the, dead, to the Red Sea. To the Red Sea. Go back and read the whole account. Crazy. God, what are you doing? There's an ocean right here. They get there, and, they, and, and here come, guess, guess who caught up with them in the meantime? Had their little detour. Guess who caught up with them? Pharaoh's army. Red Sea. Huge army. Moses, what have you done? You've led us out of Egypt for what? To die? Were there no graves in Egypt? Couldn't we have been buried in Egypt and we're going to die up, up there working and they're going to work us to death? But, but, but what's this all about? We're just going to get slaughtered all at once? They're backed up. Their back's against the wall. Moses said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, listen to this. What kind, of faith, what kind of faith did Moses have in this moment? For the Egyptians whom you see today. There was a bunch of them too, y'all. Bunch. You shall never see again. That's a dead statement. You follow me? That's a dead and gone statement. The Lord will fight for you. Listen to this. And you have only to do what? You have only to fight as hard as you can. Do all for you you can do. Pray God will make up the difference. That's how we think sometimes, isn't it? And you have only to be silent. All God wants you to do is stand there and keep your mouth shut and watch what He does for you. I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians. This is after they go through, so that through the Red Sea, so that let me make sure everybody knows. So you know, you know what God does, right? He parts the Red Sea. They walk through this ocean, this Red Sea. Not in muddy ground, barely being able to lift their feet. Dry ground. Miraculous. Then God tells them, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, after the people of Israel. And I'm going to get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. That big old army that scared y'all so bad, I'm fixing to show you how little they really are. So Moses, verse 27 says, all of Israel's already passed through at this point. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day 
from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. The people of Israel had faith that trusted God to fight for them when there was no hope in their own effort, efforts. You ever been in a place where you can't do nothing about nothing? That's where they were. When you're backed up to the Red Sea by your enemies, by terrible, impossible circumstances in your life, and you may be there right now, do you readily acknowledge your inability to fight the battle and lean wholly on your Father who can, by the way, not just part a Red Sea. We act like that's such a big deal. Let me tell you what's a big deal. Who can raise the dead, and he did. Do you depend on him? To do what only he can do. Moses did. The people of Israel did. They had a faith that trusted God to fight for them when there was no hope in their own efforts. You see, understanding the faith of Moses, the faith of our forefathers, should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected King. Just a few verses back in, in Hebrews 11, it says this, of all these Old Testament saints, all the way through the chapter, it said, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land out of which they'd come, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. We are part of those people. That's who we are. We're aliens and strangers on this earth. This is not home. The promises, oh, oh, Moses saw some amazing things. He went through the Red Sea. Saw the nine plagues and then the tenth, but then he, he walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. He saw God do amazing things, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't receive the, the, the final eternal reward of the promise of God that can only come, only comes through Jesus Christ. The end of the chapter says that is something that we'll all receive together in the end. Just remember who you are. 2 Peter 3 says that for us who are believers, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Can I just tell you that on a planet that is spinning out of control, in the midst of a humanity that has gone mad in sin. This is our hope. Now, does that mean we don't do anything to to try to redeem what is here and help the mess we're in and serve and love and and even even sacrificially care for a hurting world that, that, that God can save out of the madness? Many, absolutely, we do. But in the meantime, we keep a hold of that promise and we wait for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is not home. This one's going to burn. Slap up, and so is everything you've got and everything you enjoy. All the stuff that you amass, those fleeting pleasures of sin, those treasures of this world, they're going to be gone. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. What we're waiting for is a new heavens and a new earth, and one day we're going to see 
We're going to live on that new earth. We're going to see the new Jerusalem described in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And, as I, and, I, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. No longer, chapter 22, verse 3, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and, the, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And that reward is worth more than anything we experience in this life. And when we get there, it will be more than enough. And all that we go through between now and then will be worth it. He is worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. Is the new Jerusalem real to you? Was to Moses? Was to the people of Israel? Can you see it? Have you greeted it from afar? I think, I think what that means, not sure, but I think what that means is something like, this ain't home, that is. And reading Revelation 21 and 22 frequently and reminding myself of where I'm from and where I'm going is good. Do you confess to be sojourners here on earth and, and are, we, are we living like it? Am I convinced that my best life is far more than life here on earth? Do we live in light of the truth of the gospel that our best life is yet to come? Hey, these are our people. Uh, to hold fast to our faith in Christ and live, out, and live flat out crazy lives in this world should be easy and normal. Because we have the fullness of God's revelation, the fulfillment of all God's promises in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love a new song by Joe by Maverick City Music called Firm Foundation. Here's how the lyrics go. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful, throughout, through, he's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. And it says it again, he won't. He won't fail. He won't fail. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength because I built my life on Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful in every season. So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, church, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, the Bible says of Moses in Numbers 12, verse 3, that, that the man Moses was very meek, listen to this, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. That was Moses. This, that was said of him, by the way, when God was dealing with Moses and, you know, Miriam and Aaron, his brother and sister there, and Miriam, she just kind of had enough, this Moses show, in her opinion. <clears throat> and she just basically says, what is is this guy the only way God works? I mean, look at what he's done through us too. That didn't go real good. First, this statement's made. And then God basically says, here's the deal, girly. Don't mess with the one I choose to speak through. And all of a sudden, Miriam had leprosy. Cursed by God. But in the middle of all that, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. You know what the key to faith like Moses had is? Meekness. Moses was humble enough to simply take God at his word and do it. Believe it and obey it. Isn't that what it really boils down to for me? Isn't that really what all this boils down to for you? Are we humble enough to trust God when He speaks because He's God and He's good? And He's proven both of those things in the death and resurrection of His Son. And, and then obey Him no matter what because we're convinced by His promises of our eternal reward. Isn't it really all about being humble enough to just take Him at His word and obey Him? To trust and obey. Understanding the faith of our forefathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the resurrected, our resurrected Savior King. Let's pray. Father, for the gospel, we thank you. For this part of your word and, and the whole chapter of chapter 11 here, just God, to look back and see how you work, to be encouraged by the faith of Old Testament saints who had but a glimpse into your glory and into the fullness of your love and grace and mercy in Christ. We are encouraged, but we're convicted because we see so much and yet we respond in faith so little. Our trust and obedience in you at points is a mockery of the gospel. God, how I pray you would help us to believe you, to be humbled before you. And when you speak, and you've spoken, we've got a whole book of it, we listen, we trust, and we obey. Simple stuff. But oh, how hard because of our pride and self-righteousness. So God, humble us, we pray. Under your mighty hand, that in due time, you may exalt us.
Work it in our hearts, Father. Give us faith like Moses. And whatever it is we're facing today, may we believe you. And may we see you fight for us. We wait on you now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship in song. This altar is open for you to come and respond to God's word however you need to. The doors of our church are open to receive members any way we can. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, don't, don't miss this opportunity to meet him, to trust him, even as we sing.
God's people said? Amen. I'm so thankful that's who he is, aren't you? Amen. You may be seated for just a moment.